Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Friday, May 8th. We begin with our weekly chat with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. The mayor shares his thoughts on the process ahead for the city following the ease of restrictions put forth by the province, including challenges facing local businesses. Could the coronavirus crisis affect the insurability of long-term care facilities post-pandemic? We get the views of a local lawyer and contributor to the online publication Canadian Underwriter. Spring brings with it added challenges for the Calgary Fire Department. Fire crews have already had to deal with a few grass fires and house fires in the past couple of weeks. We get some tips on fire safety from Carol Henke, Public Information Officer with the Calgary Fire Department. And finally, to add to the stress of 2020 and perhaps your nightmares too, murder hornets have been discovered in the U.S. and in B.C. We catch up with the Professor of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology to learn more about these horrific pests. 7.42 now on your Friday morning and we're once again checking in with the mayor to talk about how the city of Calgary is faring through the pandemic to this point. We say good morning to Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Hi, Mr. Mayor. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Let's start with the numbers from yesterday. Difficult to see continued cases of COVID popping up, but 54 new cases yesterday. Health officials think we're flattening the curve. Where are you on that thought? Yeah, it seems that we are. Um, And, you know, the premier announced a week ago that we would see some easing of restrictions two weeks from last Thursday, so a week from now, if we saw a continued decline for 14 days. And good luck. uh, The day that he said it is the day we started to see some decline. Um, So that is good news. Now, the testing has gone down a bit, so you have to dig below these numbers a little bit looking at uh, hospitalizations and ICU rates. But, you know, things are things are trending in the right direction. What I need to remind people, and I hate sounding like a scold, but what I need to remind people about is that that's happening because people are being good about physical distancing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we start to ease the restrictions next week, that doesn't mean COVID's gone. It's still there. There's still no cure. There's still no treatment. There's still no vaccine. The reason we're using the restrictions is because we haven't overwhelmed the healthcare system. So in the words of a meme I'm seeing a lot, we're easing the restrictions because there's room in the ICU for you. Yeah. You'd still rather not go to the ICU. So that's what it means is we have to double down on the physical distancing, on wearing a face covering when you're out, when you're out of the house uh, to make sure that that curve stays flat as some businesses reopen. So how concerned are you about the relaunch of our city's economy, considering the number of cases we still have in our city? Is it too soon? I know that some say it's not soon enough. Where do you land there? You know, I think that it has to be a data-driven decision, and we have to really see what the targets are, uh, you know, to say this is how many cases we think are acceptable before we ease those restrictions. And the province hasn't been quite that specific. I would like to see that kind of specificity as we go forward. But I have to remind everybody again that this is risk that the province is willing to take. You know, when we ease restrictions, we will see more cases. And I'm sorry to say we'll see more serious cases. But the province feels that because the healthcare system is operating under capacity, that's a risk they're willing to take. Mayor, does Calgary or could Calgary have its own schedule moving forward or is it a must that it follow the province's schedule? I mean, could there be a regional reopening plan instead? Yeah, it's absolutely possible and the province has left themselves open to that opportunity. I would prefer that the entire province has the same level of higher restrictions because everybody is just one outbreak away uh, from being the hotspot. So if you look at Newell County where Brooks is, They went from essentially having zero cases to having the highest number of active cases in the province in three days. 
and that was the outbreak um, at JBS. So it's very easy for any other part of the province to be exactly where Calgary is. I'm sure you can understand, Mayor, it's got to be tough for these businesses because they have to, A, follow restrictions and many, many closed right now, uh, but B, be prepared to open on a dime. So uh, you uh, you talk to business owners, I'm sure, on a regular basis. How are they feeling knowing they might have to flip the switch uh, when it comes to, you know, a, an announcement or the writ being dropped to, to open business again? I've been talking to a lot of businesses who are really, really wanting to open, but are also very nervous. And so the message that I've been giving is, listen, it's not flipping a switch. You don't have to open. You can only open if you're meeting three criteria. Number one, it's right for your business. You know, in some of the cases, the restrictions mean you actually can't make money. So don't feel like you need to open to lose money. But more important than that, don't open if you don't feel that you can put what's needed in place to protect your employees and protect your customers. And if that means you've got to wait a little while, another week, another two weeks, that's totally okay. Some businesses are worried, well, if I don't open the moment my competitor opens, then I'm going to lose customers. But you know what? These are weird times. Your customers will be loyal. If you've got a good product, people will come back to you. Uh, And I know that we're working as a city uh, with the province, with different industry associations, and I've set up a little team at the city of Calgary to scour the world for best practices for restaurants and hair salons and all these different businesses so you guys can have a sense of what is needed in order to keep your employees and your customers safe. Mayor, final words for Calgarians, many who are still concerned and really, you know, confused and, and not quite sure what to do. Do we go out? Do we stay home? Your thoughts? You know, you got to double down on the physical distancing. i got to tell you, I'm probably the only person in the city who is pleased that the weather is not going to be nice this weekend. <laughs> Um, because last weekend I was very nervous about people just saying, hey, it's go time Mm -hmm. now, right? So the rules are still the same. Clean hands, clear heads, open hearts. Stay home as much as you can. Wash your hands. Keep the physical distancing. Wear a face covering uh, when you're going out in public. Um, Even if it's just a homemade bandana or something, it helps a little bit. Um, And make sure that you're being really careful. And Mother's Day is this weekend. So, you know, a socially distant visit with your mom, Um, across the lawn is okay. We're not quite at the point where we can have a backyard barbecue yet, um, but certainly not at the point where you should be going inside and visiting mom uh, yet. Um, And so I know that's tough, uh, and uh, I'm lucky because my mom lives with me, so I get to do Mother's Day, but (laughs) I don't get to see my sister on Mother's Day. um, And those are things that, well, hopefully I'll see her from the end of the driveway, but those are the sorts of things we've got to be really disciplined about because if we drop our discipline if we're not really, really careful, then we'll see another spike and it'll be very difficult for the province to ease those restrictions. Thanks for your time, Mayor. We appreciate it. Thanks very much. Have a good weekend, everyone. It's Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Could the COVID-19 pandemic cause large losses for liability insurers covering nursing homes and long-term care facilities? That's the question being asked in a new online article on CanadianUnderwriter.ca. Erica Carrasco is a contributor to the article and a partner at Field Law here in Calgary. Good morning, Erica. Good morning, Andrew. Well, it's no secret that COVID-19 has had a devastating effect on long-term care facilities in our country and in the city of Calgary. Could these businesses have issues surrounding liability as we move forward? For sure. Uh, We've already seen class actions being filed in other jurisdictions in Quebec and Ontario relating to people who have lost 
uh, loved ones or have loved ones that fell ill, seriously ill as a result of COVID-19 um, in Ontario and Quebec. So uh, we expect to see more of them as uh, time goes on. And how would that work, Eric? I mean, what's the definition of liability and how would it kind of play out in a case like that? Um, well, right now, where we're seeing most of these claims arising in, is in that general common law principle of negligence. We also, in Alberta and other jurisdictions, have uh, legislation like the Occupier's Liability Act that places um, a standard of care on these long-term facilities to provide um, you know, proper, reasonable care for their residents, including safety, security, and, you know, when you get into the medical issues where there's medical practitioners obviously providing reasonable care um, in regards to the uh, medical procedures being provided. And so that really comes down to was it reasonably foreseeable um, that some kind of harm or injury could come to these patients or residents? So how do we determine liability when it comes to a situation we've never experienced? Well, you know, that's the, that's going to be the difficult part. I mean, the easy part with long-term care facilities in most uh, jurisdictions across Canada and here in Alberta is that they are uh, strictly regulated and they have many policies and procedures that they have to follow under a statutory, so a government um, regulated regime, as well as their own policies and procedures to keep residents healthy, safe, and secure. We've obviously seen that um, in during this pandemic that there's been additional measures um, put on them to meet. So that would be the standard uh, as a base of what they should have been doing during this pandemic. But there'll be many other questions to answer, like was it reasonable for them to respond within a certain time frame to meet these requirements if they have staffing issues or other issues? And um, without having a base point to compare the situation to, I think the courts will have to draw on other situations, like when a flu breaks out in a long-term care facility. Um, But we know that there's some major differences between that circumstance and the pandemic Mm -hmm. situation. Could they judge the liability from even the start of the pandemic to now or at the end? Because we, you know, we started to see the numbers climbing quite quickly of of people in these long-term care homes, and yet it's still happening now. So they obviously haven't taken enough steps or or been able to find the right answer to stop that, the disease or the virus from spreading. And that's an excellent question, Sue, because I don't know when you start to measure the reasonableness because it changed so frequently during the course of this pandemic. Um, You know, I think it's going to be very difficult. And, you know, if you search cases in Alberta, there aren't a lot of cases against long-term care facilities for just these reasons. Uh, Most of them do have procedures in place that they are following. And if they're meeting those requirements, then, you know, they've acted as best as they can in the circumstances. Um, Mostly where we unfortunately see a lot of cases is, you know, those clear cases of elder abuse or neglect. Um, And so I think it's going to be a difficult uh, lawsuit to prove for those uh, considering advancing them. But certainly there will be cases where these care facilities were, were negligent. Okay, this may be an odd question, but uh, would a virus land under act of God? Well, actually, that's interesting, and it brings us to, you know, the insurance part of the question, you know, will these long-term care facilities um, have insurance to cover some of these claims? And, um, 
you know, there's a lot of exclusions under some of these policies that this pandemic might also fall under. So, you know, that definitely um, a, a question that we're going to have to answer. And I think it's termed very in different ways um, in different policies, but certainly, um, you know, there are exclusions for, for pandemics in some of these policies. Lots of questions, still not so many answers. I guess we'll be waiting for those as, as things continue to roll out and we start to see an end to this pandemic. Thanks for joining us, Erica. Thanks for having me. Take care. That's Erica Carrasco, partner at Field Law and contributor to CanadianUnderwriter.ca. 7.50 on the morning news. Children are spending more time online, but do parents know what their kids are up to? A new report suggests there's been a 40% increase in cyber exploitation since the coronavirus pandemic began. National Lifestyle reporter Megan Colley gives us some details. Good morning, Megan. Hi, how's it going? Good. Uh, Megan, what is cyber exploitation? So it can mean a lot of different things, but it's, you know, generally speaking, um, an adult uh, or a stranger getting a child to do something that they're not comfortable with. Uh, that said, it's typically sexual in nature. So it can include anything from asking a child sexually intrusive questions, making sexual comments towards a child, exposing them to pornography over the internet, um, or even luring them to meet in real life. Megan, we really need to talk to our kids and make sure that dialogue is always open. But what are some of the red flags that experts say parents should be watching out for? That's right. We definitely do need to be talking to our kids. So, you know, if you are a parent, you should keep your eyes and ears open for if your child talks about making a new friend online. Um, you know, video, very popular video games like Fortnite have chat features uh, where they might be meeting strangers from all around the world. Um, that might be something you want to investigate. It's common, too, for predators to pose as young kids to gain a child's trust. Um, and uh, so for this reason, it's helpful for parents to use the platforms and the video games that your kids are using. Really get a solid idea of, you know, how they work. Do they have a chat function? Do they have parental controls? How can I um, learn more about this so that I can properly inform my child to be responsible when they're using it too? What about some basic rules, Megan, that you can pass along that parents can institute in the house uh, as far as I'm thinking where they're using their devices or the hours? For sure. So, you know, one thing we we're, we want to be uh, really careful about, especially during the pandemic, is, you know, not to make parents feel guilty if their kids are spending more time on screens. That makes perfect sense. Um, they're inside more. They're, they're looking for things to do. So we don't want to make anybody feel guilty about that. But there are some things that uh, we should all remember when we're using these these uh, video games and social media platforms. So obviously, very apparent one, never tell strangers your personal information. Don't give out your address, your age, your birthday. Don't talk to strangers about your family um, because that could all be used to identify you. Um, It's also important to teach kids how to have age-appropriate conversations. So, you know, what is appropriate for a stranger on the internet to ask me? What if they say they're an adult and they are asking me questions that don't make me comfortable? What do I do in that situation? Um, And then, you know, one thing I learned, which is really interesting, from one expert they suggested drafting a cyber contract with your children clearly outline what's allowed and what's Mm. not allowed when they're spending time online have them sign it sign it have you sign it keep it posted somewhere in your house where everyone can read it and that will really drive home these these important things to remember great tip great reminders thanks megan
Thanks so much. That's Megan Colley, National Lifestyle Reporter for Global News. 849 now and crews, fire crews have had to deal with a couple of grass fires and certainly some house fires this year already. The likely cause, improper disposal of smoking materials. So to give us the lowdown and the rules, we're joined this morning by Public Information Officer with the Calgary Fire Department, Carol Hankey. Hi, Carol. Good morning. I hope you are having a wonderful day and a great weekend ahead. The rain hopefully helps the fire department, uh, but you're, you're wanting to share a message, aren't you, as we move forward in the year? Absolutely. I mean, we see the same types of fires year after year, and it just bears reminding that uh, we, we know what the common causes are, and we all need to work harder just to be more mindful of what we're doing to prevent those from happening. Well, Carol, I think what happens, the seasons change and uh, we change our routines, but maybe don't have uh, safety top of mind. Is that one of the cases? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's we can all agree right now we're sort of in a heightened state of anxiety. There's a lot going on, a lot of changes we've had to adapt to. And uh, we are still seeing, you know, fires that start as a result of the improper disposal of smoking materials, either grass fires or, you know, being put in planter pods or flower beds, those type of things just sort of being thrown out. Uh, Cooking fires, again, really common. And a lot more people seem to be spending time in the kitchen these days, which is great. Mm -hmm. But again, we have to be very cautious with what we're doing, how we're doing it, and keeping safety top of mind. So uh, it's going to be a rainy weekend. It shouldn't be too much of an issue, but that, that doesn't mean problems still can't arise. So lay down some of the rules you'd like us to remember as we move forward. So prevention is always the most important thing. But that being said, things go wrong. So our key message is always make sure you have working smoke alarms. Test them. Test them once a month. Make sure they're working on every level of your home. And then have a home escape plan. Now is a great time. Everyone's at home. Sit around the table. Talk about a home escape plan. A lot of homes have bedrooms up on the second floor. How would you get out of your bedroom window if you can't get out the door? You know, there are home escape ladders that you can order or get from the large home improvement stores, which are open. And that is a way you always want to have two ways out of every room. The the smoke alarm is not going to prevent fires. It's going to let you know that there is a problem and you need to get out quickly and safely. So that being said, you know, also make sure that you are testing your carbon monoxide alarm because... You won't know if carbon monoxide is in your house if uh, if you don't have a working alarm. The most common causes we know are cooking left unattended, especially cooking with oil. Once oil reaches its ignition temperature, it bursts into flames. And that can be uh, very scary if you walk into the kitchen and all of a sudden you've got flames coming out of your pot. So stay in the kitchen when you're cooking. Really, really easy. Stay in the kitchen. Keep kids away from the stove. Uh, if you smoke or have a smoker in your house, make sure that there is an appropriate container, like a non-combustible metal container with sand and water in it for them to put their cigarette butts. It is not okay to, you know, throw them off the deck or throw them into the grass. We we even see these types of fires start in the wintertime, which I think would surprise a lot of people. Yeah. Carol, we have about 20 seconds, but I got a question for you. I know a lot of people are going to be cleaning out the basements and garages and they have uh, old cans of paint and hazardous chemicals. In the past, we've dropped them off at various fire stations. Are they still open during the pandemic? Good question. I actually don't know, but 
uh, if you go online, that okay. should be available or call 311 and they should have the answer to that. But store them in a safe place okay. and, yeah, make sure that uh, you do, I don't have any vapors leaking out because uh, that those can be combustible and then start a fire as well. Thanks for joining us, Carol. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you so much. Same to you. All the best. Thank you. That's Carol Hankey, Public Information Officer with the Calgary Fire Department. 709 on the morning news with over 75,000 deaths now attributed to COVID-19 in the U.S. The coronavirus crisis is still the top headline in the South. Uh, With the latest on the situation, we're joined by Jackson Proskow, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Jackson. Good morning. Jackson, forecast models have been adjusted now to project over 130,000 deaths in the U.S. by August. Yet many states still going through the process of reopening. Have any states readjusted their plan at this point? No, uh, they're moving ahead full steam. 42 of the states now are moving ahead with their reopening plans uh, and more likely to follow in the coming days and weeks. Uh, What this signals is that essentially a choice has been made here, a very stark choice to reopen the economy, understanding that it will cost people lives. And President Trump admitted as much this week when he was asked about this. Uh, At the end of the day, you know, it was just a few weeks ago that the White House was releasing its own sort of guidelines for uh, how states should go about reopening and not one state met those guidelines and pushed ahead with reopening anyway and now we're hearing that the white house has actually scrapped further guidelines for specific things like how churches and schools and all that should be reopening uh from the cdc they're simply not going to publish those guidelines it's just so bizarre and then trump saying you know earlier this week that the white house would dissolve its coronavirus task force has he gone back on that decision now He has backed away from that, but they're essentially retooling it and it's going to focus on the economy now and not the public health aspects of it. And this comes uh, as we still sit with roughly 2,000 deaths and roughly 30,000 new cases every single day. It's been like this day after day after day, uh, really since the beginning of April. And there's no sign that the numbers are going down in any large, meaningful fashion. Uh, The U.S. may be sort of stuck at this plateau and and kind of uh, deciding to, to live with it like that. You know, the devastation, of course, when it comes to to lives lost, and of course, we're talking job losses as well. Maybe that's the reason they're focusing and uh, uh, refocusing the shift on to the economy. The numbers staggering when it comes to the April job losses in the U.S. Yeah, these just came out a few minutes ago. Uh, They show the unemployment rate now has reached 14.5%, which is the worst ever seen since the Great Depression. More than 20 million Americans filed for unemployment just in the last month. Uh, We should add, though, those uh, those probably don't capture the full real picture here. Those uh, monthly numbers lag a little bit. Uh, And there's a bigger problem with so many people seeking unemployment that it's overwhelming the state unemployment offices. People can't get through. The websites are crashing. Uh, Some economists are estimating the real unemployment rate is closer to 20% and could be on the approach to 25% by next month. And really, is that the bottom line here? It's about job losses in the economy in terms of Donald Trump wanting to get things opened up despite the fact that cases and deaths continue to climb? He seems to view those as key to his own re-election success, and he's really singularly focused on those uh, two issues. Uh, so you're right, he's fully admitting that people will die because of these decisions to push forward and move ahead with the economy, he says, you know, because they're not staying uh, in their homes. I think the kind of indicator that people should be watching for is a place like Georgia, which reopened uh, just over a week ago, and we know that, you know, deaths and infections lag by a couple of weeks. So let's see how Georgia looks, uh, you know, come June 1st, and that'll give us a sense of whether 
whether this sort of experiment has worked or not, whether it's resulted in a huge uptick in cases. Uh, I think one of the other things that's perhaps underappreciated right now is while the number of daily deaths and infections is, is staying high and, and pretty consistent, where those cases are popping up is changing. So they've dropped down big time in New York and New Jersey, which were the hardest hit. Mm. But now they're popping up in the heartland of America. Uh, here in the Washington, D.C. area, we're seeing about 2,500 new cases every single day. Uh, the, the epidemic is moving around the country, and that's that's the really concerning part here. Jackson, I've heard reports that the Centers for Disease Control created actually a guide for U.S. states to open, uh, presented to the White House, and it was shelved. What do you know about this? It, it's not going to. It isn't ever going to see the uh, light of day. Yeah, so this goes hand in hand. They they had made original recommendations for the phased reopening of states, which were completely ignored. And then they were set to publish a second set of more detailed recommendations for how things like churches and schools should be allowed to reopen by various state governments. And those are apparently not being published either. Uh, you know, two reasons. One is that the advice is being ignored. And I think the other is the optics, that it looks bad that if the White House is sort of taking the lead on something and then people don't follow it while the president is cheerleading the reopening of things, uh, it's not a great situation for the president. Jackson, let's switch gears a little bit. Talk about Joe Biden for a moment. Uh, there's been talk about who his running mate might be. And also there's certainly discussion about the uh, the woman who's alleging Joe Biden sexually assaulted her. Yeah, so uh, his search for a, a running mate is definitely in, in full swing. Uh, lots of pressure on him to not only choose a woman, but to choose a woman of color and really strong ascend, send a strong message sort of about the future of the Democratic Party and its outreach to uh, uh, more people who may not have traditionally been engaged and also to carry on the Obama legacy, which built a broad coalition of voters that was electorally successful. So that's the, the one thing for uh, uh, Biden's campaign that they're focused on as this allegation from a former former Senate staffer Tara Reid comes up. Uh, she has given an interview to Megan Kelly, a former Fox News host who's now doing her own YouTube show. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, uh, but she's standing by her accusations as Biden denies them. Uh, it's worth pointing out that President Trump actually phoned into Fox News himself this morning, and this is where things get tricky for Trump because Trump has faced dozens of <laughs> yeah. accusations of sexual misconduct from women, and he's essentially saying that uh, he backs Biden in this case because it's really not a line of attack that the president huh? can go with given his own past <laughs> that's, uh, that's that's a whole different that's a yeah. whole different episode uh, well beyond the democratic campaign do we know anything further about what is going to be happening in the coming months when it comes to the election all eyes on november originally we talked about that early this year uh, but that could look vastly different now couldn't it yeah, I mean, I think there's more and more pressure to consider uh, widespread mail-in balloting, for sure, so people don't need to go to the polls. We saw when Wisconsin held its primaries just over a month ago, that actually resulted in dozens of cases of COVID popping up as a result of that primary. So more pressure for mail-in balloting, which uh, tr the president has resisted. He said that uh, it doesn't work out well for Republicans when it's easier for people to vote. He's fully admitted that. Um, you know, it's an open question as to whether the political conventions will take place this summer. The Democrats have already rescheduled theirs. Lots of pressure to make those conventions happen, but it's hard to see how that's going to happen. We're not gathering people in stadiums for any other reason right now. Uh, why would you do that for a political convention when it could be done virtually and when we know who the nominee is going to be for both parties? Jackson, one last thing I wanted to touch on before we let you go. Social media can be terrible. In this case, it may have led to the arrest of a father and son in Georgia who shot a black man dead in the street. This is a, a one that's getting a lot of attention. 
it is uh, it has of course uh, renewed many many tensions uh, and uh, as of course uh, has led to, to prosecution those two have been arrested now as a result of this it's being watched very very closely an absolutely awful situation that really highlights the fact that there are still a lot of tensions uh, involving race in this country uh, in Georgia in particular there are laws that are sort of stand your ground laws but it's hard to see how that would apply to shooting somebody who is out for a jog that the uh, defendants claim they uh, believed had been uh, burglarizing homes in the neighborhood. Thanks for your time this morning, Jackson. Have a good weekend. Take care. That's Jackson Proskow, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. To add to all the stress of 2020, murder hornets are a thing. They're huge, they're scary, and they're a big threat to honeybees. With all the terrifying details, we're joined by a professor of biochemistry and molecular biology who studies bees at the University of British Columbia, Leonard Foster. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Okay, so we're hearing a lot about these murder hornets. Are, Are they as terrifying as that name makes them sound? No, that that name is definitely overblowing the situation. The, the name actually comes not just from their effect on honeybees, but also the, the fact that uh, they actually kill a fairly large number of humans each year uh, to, during stinging attacks. But the, they're, they're always defensive. It's not as if they're trying to go out to, to murder people or bees. Are okay. you sure? <laughs> Are you sure? So, so I haven't met one yet, but uh, <laughs> so I'll let you know. So they're arriving in North America. Where do they come from originally? Uh, they come from various parts of East Asia, so Japan, Korean Peninsula, China. Um, and how they're getting over here, we're not totally sure, but we suspect they're coming in shipping somehow, possibly in dirt of plants maybe, or, or maybe in some other ways that we're not quite sure of yet. So they've been found in parts of, of the U.S. and here in B.C. Is it, do they live in, in the earth then? Is that in the dirt underground? Is that where, why, why they're able to hide, you think? Yeah, their, their nests are typically in the ground. Uh, and the one nest that's been found in North America uh, that was in Nanaimo uh, last, uh, last spring or summer, um, was certainly in the ground. They can nest in other places, but they're typically found in the ground. Uh, why they're not found that or seen that often maybe in North America is uh, just that um, they don't typically like to live uh, in, in heavily populated areas. So they're out in the bush uh, and only when they kind of encroach on, on human areas do we, do we spot them. So we think there's probably multiple uh, colonies, but um, we've only found one yet, but uh, there's definitely evidence that there's others. It's been said that there's a purpose for every living creature <laughs> on Earth. What is the purpose of a murder hornet? Just to scare us, or does it serve a purpose in the ecosystem? No, it, it uh, like all wasps, they actually serve a, quite an important purpose uh, in the pollination activities that they do, just like honeybees and other any other insects, uh, but they also are scavengers, and so we'll we'll eat uh, other food that they they can find. Um, like you, if you've been on a picnic and had wasps, you know all about that uh, that pleasant side of wasps, and and that is an important uh, role that these kind of insects play in the ecosystem. What kills the murder hornet? Uh, so there. We don't we don't know fully yet. They're they're studied uh, in in East Asia, and there are probably 
uh, bird or maybe mammalian predators of uh, this little beast. But in North America, we don't know of any uh, any native species that might actually feed on them. Uh, there are uh, probably viruses that affect them, but we don't know about that yet either. You mentioned a sting can be fatal from one of these murder hornets. <laughs> I'm wondering, is, is this a case similar to how people are allergic to bees, or would you just not even know if, if you could die from a sting? Uh, so there, there's always the, the small portion, proportion of the population who will have an anaphylactic reaction to a bee sting or a wasp sting, and, and those people can die from not even a full sting, even a, even a sort of a brush of a stinger uh, transferring venom um, can lead to death. And those are not really the kind of cases that we're talking about because that, that's really... Um, more of an immunological problem on the side of the human rather than uh, the insect. But no, these these uh, murder hornets, as they're called, can deliver quite a large amount of venom uh, compared to like a honeybee or a bumblebee. And uh, if someone gets too much of that, um, their their whole system can go into shock and uh, it can lead to death as well that, that is different from the anaphylactic type of uh, death. Okay, everything about these things sounds horrifying. How big are they? <laughs> they uh, they're quite enormous for a for a bee-like insect. So uh, they're they're sometimes up to uh, four to five centimeters long. I've got a few in my freezer from the Nanaimo colony that was found, and, and they're probably well over three centimeters, probably pretty oh. close to four centimeters. Um, so they're like at least twice the length of a, of a honeybee or a, a yellow jacket wasp. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, the size to match the fright. <laughs> yeah, you're yep. kidding. Thank you for your information this morning. We appreciate it. All right. No problem. Have a nice day. That is Leonard Foster, who is a professor of biochemistry and molecular biology at the U of BC.